on these three lives. Welcome, listeners, to the 20th premium chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the 12 Labors of Gorkules episode. As always, we are your hosts, Julian Fields and Travis View. This week, we are beginning to explore the beautiful care package our spy Susie gathered for us at this year's CPAC. First up, Sebastian Gorka's book, Why We Fight, Defeating America's Enemies with No Apologies. The copy she sent us is signed to Jake, Julian, and Travis with the meaty hand of Gorka himself. And this week, since Jake is MIA, and as we all know, Travis loves Sebastian, Mm. I have organized a series of readings from the book framed as a Greek tragedy. That's right. Travis will stand witness to the twelve labors of Gorkules and offer us the Stasimon, the chorus's interpretation of the play's events. His role will be to parse, respond to, and heap praise on both Gorkules' impeccable prose and heroic actions. To add a layer of spice to the proceedings, Travis will not be privy to the passages before they are read to him, the result of Julian using a physical hardback. Before uh, we jump into it completely, uh, I wanted to do a little kind of prelude on the Vitezi Rend, which is... Yeah. Do you know about these cats? I I don't. I know that... I know that... I mean, I I read a little bit about them. There's like, you know, they're... uh, once Nazi adjacent. So, okay. So yeah, yeah I, I, that, this is because basically, you know, to give you a bit of background listener, Sebastian Gorka was uh, briefly working for Trump and he's supposedly this, you know, kind of like advisor for like uh, it, it, uh, security issues, uh, which is, you know, mostly bullshit or whatever, but we won't even go into that. I think we already did a takedown of him. Travis had a great one on a previous premium episode. The point is uh, he was accused of Nazi sympathizing when he went to a gala uh, wearing a pin that was of the Vitezi Rend. And now the Vitezi Rend, uh, to give you a little bit of background and, and, and to understand that it's maybe not as black and white as people would like to say, but I still believe this is very incriminating. So the Vitezi Rend was actually founded as a knighthood LARP for Christian gentry originally um, in, in Hungary. It was rooted in a love for monarchism, and its memberships and benefits were hereditary. So titles and land were passed down patrilineally. So when the Nazis took over in Hungary, many of the Vitezi Rend were actually down with the anti-Semitism, but they were less down with the loss of Hungarian nationalism, because they were nationalists. And uh, the pre-Nazi power structure, you know, they missed it. One of the proud Vitezi Rend was Hungarian interior minister Laszlo Endre, who was an anti-Semite also a member of the Hungarian Nazi party, and he helped Eichmann deport more than 400,000 Hungarian Jews. So, I mean, yeah, that does not look good for the Vitezi Rand. His underling also helped establish the ghettos. He was aware of the goings-on in Auschwitz, and he forced a group of Hungarian Jews in 1944 to embark on a death march. So, another not, not the best. Uh, multiple Vitezi members inherited stolen Jewish possessions and land. Another faction of the Vitezi Rend did fight the Nazis, ally themselves with Jewish gentry, and attempt to prevent deportation, even though it was the law that no Jews could join the Vitezi order, because it was inherently kind of, yeah, like I said, a Christian gentry movement that was LARPing as knights. In 1945, as the war came to an end, the Vitezi were dissolved as part of a breaking up of Nazi-friendly organizations, because there were a lot of, you know, highly placed Vitezi Rend people that were very literally sending Jews to their deaths. Uh, so anyways, they reformed afterwards as a sort of private club and continued to push Hungarian nationalism, uh, albeit with a bit less Nazi shit m- mixed in. So this is the 
this is the brooch that he chose to wear, and he argues that it's to you know to celebrate his father. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did read up about this a little bit. I you know I didn't include it in my takedown. You know, Gorka wore this medal, and understand why that's bad. Let me explain to you Hungarian politics in the first half of the 20th century. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. all right, here we go. It's just, yeah. It's just, I I feel like feel like my big problem with Gorka is that he's sort of like. He's an he's an empty suit. He's a he's yep. a fraud. He was he was denied yep. security clearances in two countries, his his home country of Hungary and and here in the United States in order to work on national security issues because yep. he's just uh, a dipshit. He's hated by his colleagues. He he makes uh you know uh you know he writes books full of, full of nonsense. He's basically taken his sort of like his academic career and turned it into a grift. Yeah. That's my big problem with Gorka. Not that he like once wore a metal that is arguably you know nazi uh, associated in the past you know you heard it here he, he isn't friendly in the workplace and that matters more to travis than nazis it's, <laughs> That's it's dope. just yeah he's just he's just it's like <laughs> here's the thing it's like i always feel like it feels like calling him sort of like uh nazi-ish like nazis are scary they want to kill people yeah. nazis are bad I don't think Gorka's scary. I think he's empty. I yeah. think he's just uh, he's just just Are a. You're saying like his hip pistols and his like yeah, le- leg oh strap God. knives. He just, and yeah, <laughs> he's just he's just an empty fraud. That's that's yeah. that's sort of my perspective on Gorka. Yeah, and I mean certainly when he wears that pin, he's kind of memorializing a father who was very involved in these conflicts, whereas he was not. Like that's he's true. Just a fail son that kind of right. Yeah, I mean, sits yeah. around and writes bullshit. Yeah, his father. Yeah, escaped to the UK um, after was it the 1956 uh, Hungarian Revolution against the sort yeah. of the, the Soviet government, um, and then so that's that's obviously very dramatic. And he did not fight quite quite so noble a battles. You know, he fought against like you know uh, you know the SJWs, the SJWs, and sort of like <laughs> and sort of the mean media outlets yeah. that were saying bad things about Donald Trump. This these were his battles. So well, stop trying to fucking gish gallop me because you are going to be experiencing all right. The 12 labors of Gorkunis! Labor number three. Clean the boots of propagandists with your tongue. Today the word propaganda, Latin for propagating, has a pejorative connotation, suggesting communication that is tendentious and manipulative. But this was not its original sense. The word entered the English language in 1622 when Pope Gregory XV established the Congregatio de Propaganda Fide, the Congregation for Propagating the Faith, originally referring simply to activities that spread certain ideas among a given population. There was no suggestion of compulsion, deceit, or that the ideas were less than wholesome. When attempting to strike the balance between military force and non-physical means to secure the country and realize national security objectives, it is useful to remember the grand strategist Sun Tzu's definition of the perfect victory. Winning without fighting. How can this be done? How can you win without employing violence? By convincing your adversary, be it a country terrorist group or insurgency, that it cannot defeat you or that its victory will be too costly. You can also win the battle of wills if your adversary is convinced that its own values are bankrupt and that yours are superior. All of this, he could have just said, America also does propaganda, but I think it's right. 
That's right. it. I mean, that's, that's, that's your whole argument so I mean, far. It's, it's for good stuff. Right. The U.S. approach to delegitimizing the anti-democratic message of our Cold War foe was logical and comprehensive. As the front man for America, President Reagan made the strategic level argument about the Soviet's moral bankruptcy, a role for which the former actor, now remembered as the great communicator, was perfectly suited. Yeah, I mean, this is yeah, this oh. is really sort of simple. Yeah. I mean, obviously, all countries project their values. I mean, what what, yeah. what is he saying? Well, no, the, president, nothing, yeah. the president tried to communicate America's values in a speech. He's saying he's War. saying the president I mean, was like the head of the psyop, the front man. Right. It's but like, this, I mean, but that's this what is a just president is. I guess this is just you know, this is basic sort of like communication. This is basic sort of like PR. Yeah. It's like, well, of course, any organization, any country sort of like projects its values. That's not a psyop. That's just sort of like yeah, if you communication. Cut, yeah. If you cut out like Gorka just basically writing something simple as something more complex, like just basically opening his fucking dictionary and being like, is there a more like kind of roundabout way right. that I could say this shit that I just read off of Wikipedia? Uh, okay, cool. If you cut that out, like his book is about a third the size. So it's really going to be an issue if you try to challenge him on this stuff. And this is, <laughs> after all, <laughs> the Reagan administration therefore redoubled America's commitment to broadcasting behind the Iron Curtain, investing in new pro democracy channels such as Radio Marti, broadcasting in Spanish into Cuba, and modernizing Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and the English language Voice of America. In the Reagan era, America's ideological orchestra had a highly visible conductor and the strains of the Symphony of Freedom floated across the airwaves throughout the Soviet Empire, finding an eager audience. He's, he's describing setting up a fifth column operation yep. as if this is like this incredibly noble thing and not just a product of trying to manipulate a whole country yep. while they're also experiencing the effects of your economic sanctions and your aggressive military interventionism. Yeah, well, that that and but the point is that we introduced them some awesome American pop songs. Yeah, imagine imagine being a fucking Cuban who has to go out there into the into the sugarcane fields and fucking break his back every day for an American-owned corporation that is like running a paramilitary force that holds you at gunpoint so you'll continue to work and being like, "Damn, the radio though, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loving it." <laughs> I mean, as, as is, uh, here's the thing is that America always has a fantastic PR department. The problem with yeah. everyone else is that they do propaganda wrong. It's almost like this book is just more propaganda mm. attached to the propaganda he's trying to excuse. Fascinating. Yeah. And everyone knows that America's propaganda never had any sinister motives in the past. We've never, as a country, tried to manipulate another country right. to, to, to somehow enslave their people or invade their lands or, or have them Overthrow engage in war. democratically elected gov uh, government. Sink into a civil war, which is preferential to us than having a left-wing leader yeah. in South America. Like, it's, no, he, he, it, he really just has to excise an entire part of history. And one of the most telling things in this book is that there is not a single mention of colonialism. He traces back America 200 years to like the fucking Ottoman conflicts. And yet he doesn't at all address at any point that there were colonies and that those were held in place by a violent uh, military interventionism. He, he loves knighthood. He loves old Christian conflicts. Like he actually thinks empires are great and they're given to those who deserve them, mm. you know? So he's, he's bemoaning the last empire his country Hungary had, which was the Austro-Prussian, <laughs> oh, which, which got us into World War One. you fucking dipshit. <laughs> Fuck you. 
Labor four. Steal the valor of Chesty Pulerios. Great name. Yeah, his name is Chesty Puller. Yes. Now, this guy seems like a real prick. Let's kick off this absolutely amazing chapter. Uh, one of America's warriors, Chesty Puller, the marine legend who turned the tide in the Pacific. Some men are born warriors. The male is the more aggressive sex. What? It says that? But few men are sculpted in granite with a spine of steel. You've been listening to a premium episode sample of QAnon Anonymous. You can subscribe for $5 a month to get access to all of our premium episodes and give the show a chance to grow and remain editorially independent. Head over to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous to support us. Thank you. We love you.